If I understand what you said, the labor pains start with the beginning of the Daniel's 70th week. So how would you characterize what's going on in the world now? Is this just the discomfort of the pregnancy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a great way of saying it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, um, there's, uh, guys, have you heard of Craig Blomberg and Don Carson? They would believe that the passage in Matthew 24, 4 through 35, is all about, I, I'm sorry, from verse 4 to verse 30, actually, I'm sorry, to verse 29, is all about this present age, okay, until the Lord comes. So the problem with that view, in other words, it would be like you're saying that we're living now during these things. Well, the problem with that is, is it, let me just turn, I think it's in verse 29, but I don't want to steer you wrong. Matthew 24, 29. Yeah, notice in Matthew 24, 29, it says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days. If you're just talking about two eras, that is the present age and then you have the Lord comes and you have the millennial kingdom, it seems rather unlikely that you would have to use the term immediately. As one scholar said, well, of course, one epoch ends and another one begins. But if you're talking about a very specific time, a micro period of time, that is the great tribulation, then you're very likely to use the term immediately. So that would seem to preclude this notion that from Matthew 24, 4, all the way to Matthew 24, 29, that that could be the, the church age, if you will. And so Bob made a good point one time. He says, you know, it's not that we don't experience these things now. It's that they're going to be so much greater and accentuated and on you know, high, if you will, when we get to the tribulation period. Okay, so yes, we experience these things, but they're going to be far greater during that period. So, Okay, you got the um, 70th week starting, and that, that is the start of the day of the Lord, right? Yep, that's correct. So Antichrist has to be uh, revealed then, right? Yep, that's right. Right in the beginning, I would affirm that what would happen is the very beginning of the 70th week, you would have the apostasy, and the man of lawlessness basically simultaneously coming about, yeah. And what scripture supports his being revealed there? Well, I'm going to be talking about that. Remember in Second Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, the timing of the revelation has to do specifically with when the restrainer is taken out of the way. Yeah, but we don't know who the restrainer is or what that's the restraining right. is. Right. Well, that's why I gave you evidence from Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6, the, talking about the first seal, we see that the Antichrist goes out peacefully. Okay. Now, what's interesting about that is in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 3, it says, while they're saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. It seems far better to see that, because remember, that's the beginning of the day of the Lord. It seems far better to see it there than after we have a quarter of the earth die, all this warfare, and Antichrist has been waging war against the saints for some period and then how could you say peace and safety? So well, I gave you a scenario, a scenario for how you could say that. Yeah, how, how did that go again? Just refresh. Well, I took three quotes, three utterances. The first one is in um, Revelation 13.4. Okay, yeah. And, and, and the, utterance, the utterance there is, uh, who is like the beast, who can make war against him? Sure. Now, if people think that there is a supreme control of the earth... And they've entered into their utopia because 
they're worshiping this beast. They think he is God. He is in control of everything. Mm-hmm. Now they say peace and safety. Now, after they've been through all this, they say peace and safety. But okay. then... But again, I just... Okay, let, yeah. me, just, right, let me, sure. me just complete it. And then uh, the third utterance is when uh, they realize that what what they believed was wrong. I, I, I'm sorry, just with the they, are you referring to... The people on the earth. People okay, just people on, on the earth, earth, whether they're Jew or Gentile, okay. No, the lost, yeah. Yep. And they say, fall on us and hide us from the, the uh, presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. Yeah. And who is able to stand? Now, this is in direct contradiction to their utterance about the beast. What okay. changed in there? They thought they were safe uh, under the beast, and now they realize that the wrath of him who sits on the throne and the Lamb have come. Yeah. I, the, the problem that I would have with that, Mike, is I believe that the wrath of the Almighty obviously comes in Revelation 6, 8. And let me just show you why. If everybody, what? if I can address this, yeah. let me just show you why, though. If everybody just turn your Bibles to Revelation 6, 8, and I think this is very obvious that the wrath of God is already present in Revelation 6, 8. Let me show you why. I but actually, I thought, but um, I thought the wrath of God started at the beginning of the 70th week. Well, it, it does. But what I'm just showing here is that for sure it's here by the fourth seal, where in your opinion it can't be until after the sixth seal. So all I have to do is prove that it's before the sixth seal to disprove your position. Okay, so look at Revelation 6, 7 through 8, if you will. It says, Then the Lamb broke the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it, had the name Death and Hades, was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with the famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now hold on to that page and turn your Bibles, if you will, to Ezekiel 14.21. And I'm going to show you that these exact terms are used by the Lord for his wrath upon Israel. And if they're used for wrath upon Israel, the exact same terms... I wonder why we're not willing to say that it's God's wrath here. It would seem to me special pleading that it is not. Well, I think we we say it's not God's wrath there because it, God's wrath is an announced later. Here, here after we have the sixth um, seal. Yeah, here we have Ezekiel fourteen twenty one. It says, "For thus says um, the Lord God, how much more when I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem: sword, famine, wild beasts, and plague, to cut off man and beast from it." And what's interesting about this is when I looked at Ryan's book, what he has to do with Revelation 6-8 to try to make this not be the wrath of God, he tries to claim that the beasts that are referred to here refer to the Antichrist and the false prophet. And one of the pieces of evidence that he cites is that the term Theron, which is used for beast, is cited 39 times. The problem is, is every single time it's cited, other than right here in Revelation 6-8, it's a singular only in Revelation 6-8 do we have it in the plural, indicating that it is, in fact, wild animals, exactly as stated in Ezekiel 14:21. What's interesting in context, and I forget where the passage is, but you can tell that this... Oh, in fact, it's um, right here. It's verse 19, 14:19 of Ezekiel. Or I should send a plague against that country and pour out my wrath and blood on it and cut off man and beast from it. So there you have wrath instituted right there. So... Wrath is indicated in Ezekiel 14:19. Shortly thereafter, 
verse 21, it talks about four means of his wrath. That is the the sword, famine, wild beasts, and plague. And it's the identical four things that are alluded to in Revelation 6.8. So but, but Ryan said in his Revelation class yeah. that wild actually isn't in the original translation. I, I agree. I, that, that has no bearing on the and text. And that the beasts could be the beasts out of the sea and the beasts out uh, it's, of the land. It's not. <laughs> I'll, I'll prove it to you, too. I'll prove it two ways. I'll, uh, when we get to that text, I'm going to prove it that, again, it's striking that this is the only passage in the entire book of Revelation where beasts is plural. Okay, second, it's identical to Ezekiel 14.21, where these are means of God's wrath. And third, there's a grammatical reason, because Ryan asserts that, in fact, the beasts have some sort of authority. But as I'm going to show you, the preposition that goes together with the accusative, this gets very technical, is not correct in order for it to be... So I'm going to be explaining all of that, and I'll explain why that's wrong. And again, Ryan is wrestling with these things. He's doing a great job, but I, I just... I disagree with him on that interpretation, but I'm just showing you I think he's going to great lengths to get around the obvious that this is, in fact, God's wrath. And so if we have God's wrath in the fourth seal, we certainly have it prior to the sixth seal that the pre-wrath position is dependent upon. Okay, I I see four reasons, though, why... Well, Mike, I'm sorry, you know, let's just... I I have to kind of let some other people ask and talk, too, but I I appreciate that. Well, we'll get to all these things, and I'll make my case as I... Okay, I'm I'm pretty uh, new at this, but yeah. um, could all these people, the people on the earth that are saying peace and safety, yeah. safety is going on, don't we kind of do that now? I mean, in a small sort of way when yeah. somebody that we like gets put in charge or something and we go, oh, things are going to be great now, and then you turn yeah. around and realize that uh-oh, we're all still fighting and we're all still doing this. And, it's, yeah. you know, some people are, it's going to be great for, but I, yeah. I don't know. No, that's well said. Yeah, we we do think that. We think if we put just the right people in charge, we'll have peace and safety. And then we get the call that the cancer's returned. Or you get the call that your loved one's been in an auto accident. And we always come to the place in our life where we say, you know, death is still, the death rate's one per person. And what matters is the kingdom that's coming. And so you're right. In a sense, we're all saying that in this life, peace and safety, when we're really fooling ourselves. Why do we use euphemisms? He passed away. Well, he's dead. <laughs> you know, we don't say that because we don't like to. Because why? We're saying peace and safety. You're right. It's, it's the, the condition of the human being. Yeah. Yeah. So great point. Yep. Yeah, thanks. Hi. I'm wondering about um, the Matthew 24. I had read and come to understand that it was Jesus talking to his disciples, but it was being addressed to the the Jews, to Israel, because sure. the church is already gone when he's talking there. And that's why he talks about, you know, pray that it not be on the Sabbath and all of these kind of um, Jewish things. Yeah. yeah, well, just realize the, the context. In fact, if you get a chance to look at, I don't remember what night, was that first night when I got into, no, I think it was last last time we were together, I got into Matthew 24, and I showed the Israel-eccentric nature. In other words, the idea there is you have Jewish disciples. Yes, they're believers in Christ, but they're real Jews too. They still see the Jerusalem temple. All of the context of Matthew 24 surrounds Daniel 9 and the promises of the fulfillment of God's kingdom coming in the 70th week. And so these now, there's two things we always want to keep straight. is The kingdom is coming to Israel... But those who are going to be a part of it again trust in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. 
Okay, so Jesus is talking to Jewish disciples who later end up forming what we know as primarily the Gentile church. But these same Jewish disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they say, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, these are the men who are our apostles. They know that the kingdom is coming to Israel. So yes, Matthew 24 is centered on the promises coming to Israel, but you and I are a part of them. And that's the primary application to me out of that passage is that God is faithful to all of his promises. That's how I apply it to my life. I don't say, well, gosh, when I see the abomination that causes desolation and I know that the Jews are supposed to head for the hills of Judea, well, then I'm going to Buck Hill. Okay? I don't think that that's how we... Um, I don't think that's how we relate it to our own lives because, again, I think these are specifically going to relate to those who are in the tribulation period. That is the warnings. But it's also uh, principles that we can learn. God is faithful to his promises. He's going to bring the kingdom that he's promised from Genesis chapter 12 on, and we're going to be a part of it. And so we can rejoice in that. So I I hope I answered your question. But, yeah, it's primarily Israel-centered. Right. That's what I would affirm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Nicole. Um, I was just thinking, and maybe if this is kind of oversimplistic or kind of a leap, you can let me know. I don't know. But yeah. I was thinking it, a lot of times in Old Testament Jewish tradition, it symbolically reflects literal fulfillments of things in the New Testament. And in Jewish tradition, when a man would come to take a woman to be his bride, the, the wedding reception would actually last a week. Yeah, seven days. And so seven days is kind of like symbolic of seven years, and it's not till after the seven years that they actually occupy his father's house and settle in, which would totally coincide with him coming at the beginning or rapturing us and then, you know, seven years of tribulation. Yeah, I I think that there's um, there definitely could be correlation to that. I I, I just don't know. um, I've been aware of all those things. Um, One neat thing, too, is that when the the son who had betrothed the woman, when he went to prepare a place for his bride, she didn't know when he was coming back. She had to be ready. And and that kind of would institute the idea of imminence as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of imagery there. I'm no expert on it, but I, I think that they're... Um, again, you never want to try to force that necessarily upon the text, but it certainly <laughs> is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for you know showing up here. I know you guys have a lot going on. And I'll tell you, next week again, we're going to get 2 Thessalonians 2. We're going to finish all the verses. I might recap what we went through. We're going to go all the way to verse 8, and then we're going to try to get into the apostasy and the restrainer. So thanks, everyone. <laughs>